special guest here with us this morning, Percy and Ashley Taba. Most of you probably know Percy and Ashley. Ashley grew up in this church, Ashley Kelly, um, missionary journeyman to Botswana there, met Percy, fell in love, married, and uh, a little over a year ago, um, gave birth to a little boy named Caleb. And uh, she's going to tell the story about that, but just needless to say that when God does a miracle, we need to give him glory. And there's no other explanation for Caleb's survival and development today than a miracle of God. And Ashley's going to come and share, share Caleb's story with us. And lest I forget, um, at the conclusion of the service, if you want Caleb's story in full, Ashley has written a little book. And it's available in the vestibule and in the breezeway. The cost of publishing was $12. They're just trying to recoup those expenses. And uh, it has the full story of Caleb and, and, and what God did in his life. But Ashley's going to give us just a snippet of that this morning. Help me welcome her. Good morning. Um, as Brother Wayne said, my husband and I are missionaries in Botswana, Africa. And when I moved back to be a missionary in Africa, I had this dream of what missions was going to look like. But for those of you with small kids, you know that with kids, it's not as easy as it looks. <clears throat> and so when we moved back, Anna Catherine was nine months old. And with nine-month-old baby who needs your constant attention, life-changing conversations are really hard to come by. So I did try to get involved with some neighborhood evangelism. I tried to, we invited people into our home, we hosted Bible studies, we got involved in local church. But it just felt like I was only impacting just a few people. And I questioned God. I said, God, why did you bring me back to Africa? I feel like I could be doing the housewife thing from the comforts of America. But I felt like God said, this is where I want you. And so we continued to be obedient. Even though I kept thinking, but my children are raising without their wonderful grandparents. And but God just said, this is where I want you. So we continued to be obedient. And then life got even harder. Last September when I gave birth to my second child. I went into labor with a healthy baby boy, but the doctor was in a hurry, <laughs> and so he walked in, and my husband was there, and he said he just put the forceps around Caleb's head, put his foot up on the bed for leverage, and then yanked Caleb out of me by his head. As soon as he was born, I knew something was wrong. He didn't cry. He wouldn't suck milk. He didn't grasp your finger. He just laid there, and the doctors kept saying, no, he's probably just tired. Don't worry about it, but by his third day, I knew something is wrong with this child even though the doctors kept assuring me nothing is wrong with him. So we arranged for an emergency air evacuation to get Caleb out of there. And so one of the things you need when you take an evacuation is that the pediatrician who is taking care of him, Botswana, has to write a referral letter to the pediatrician receiving him in South Africa. And so that pediatrician um, wrote the referral letter. Now remember, he had told me nothing about Caleb throughout the whole three days Caleb had been alive. So I asked him, may I please see a copy of that report? And he told me, that's none of your business. So when we got up in the air, I asked the medical rescue men, can I see a copy of that report? And I read the report, written by the pediatrician who told me I had nothing to be concerned about. And the report said, his kidneys are shut down, he's vomiting blood, and he's having recurring seizures every five minutes. When we got to South Africa, they told me, it's a good thing you brought him here tonight. He would have been dead by morning. They were dehydrating him back in Botswana. The only thing we can figure is that the gynecologist made a mistake with the forceps and the pediatrician tried to help him <coughs> by covering it up, by dehydrating him and killing him. I later found out that the pediatrician is one of the owners of the private hospital, so maybe it was just a cover up. Anyway, by Friday, they got him stable enough to do a brain scan and the pediatric neurologist looked at the scans and said, 
I'm so sorry. These scans prove that you went into labor with a healthy baby boy, but because of the gynecologist's mistake and the pediatrician's subsequent lack of care, your son's brain has been bleeding now for five days, and the damage is horrific. He's missing significant parts of the brain. It's really bad, and I'm really sorry. I'm not sure if he'll ever see. I don't think he'll ever be able to use the right side of his body. I don't think he'll ever know right from wrong or be able to have memories or concentrate. This was preventable, and I'm really sorry. And so we had to deal with that. We had to deal with forgiveness of the doctors and trusting God when things didn't turn out the way we thought they should or the way we'd envisioned. But through it all, God did give us supernatural strength. And then by the end of our hospital stay, we even felt like God told us that he was going to heal, miraculously heal Caleb. Of course, it's not easy to walk in faith and not by sight because newborn babies, whether they're healed or not, they just lay there. So we had to continue to believe in God. And over the past year, we have seen as God's begin to bring the manifestations of that healing into Caleb. And even though the follow-up brain scans continue to show really bad brain damage, Caleb has met every single normal childhood milestone at the appropriate times, to the amazement of the doctors and to the glory of God. So when he turned one year, I made a video just to celebrate what God had done in Caleb's life. And I posted that video on YouTube, and now um, I want you to be able to see that video. Cute video.
he's flipping for the first time from his back to his stomach today. Publishing that video, or after putting that video on YouTube, <coughs> emails started streaming in from all over the world. People had been praying for Caleb everywhere, and as people saw what God had done in his life, people kept writing in and saying how God had used Caleb's story to encourage them in their faith. And then I got an email from a publisher asking me if I'd be willing to write a book. And so I wrote that book, and since releasing that book in Botswana, God has done amazing things. Within two weeks of publishing that book in Botswana, I found out that the president, not Barack Obama, my president of Botswana, um, the president's sister <laughs> had bought 10 copies of the book, had given one to the president, and was taking the rest back to their home village. My, I had neighbors that I'd been trying to reach in the neighborhood evangelism. They were not responsive to the gospel. Both of them, one is a, um, in senior management in a bank in Botswana, another is a nurse. Both of them bought a copy of the book, liked it so much, they came back and bought 10 more copies separately and took them back to their workplaces. These are non-Christians helping me to take the gospel back to their workplaces. A random lady just emailed me before I came and said, I bought your book, <clears throat> and it really challenged me so much so that I would love it if you could come and share the gospel with my family. I'm the only Christian in my family, and they're not responsive to the gospel. 
but as I read your story, I just felt like maybe if you could share it, they would listen to you. You know, I had these dreams about missions in Botswana, and probably my wildest dreams, I probably could have dreamed that I could reach the president with the gospel, or that that I could share the gospel with my neighbors, and they would receive it, and then in turn take it back to their, their workplaces throughout the country, or that people would call me and beg me to come and share the gospel with their friends and their family. But I probably could have thought that was never possible, because I had this way of evangelism. I do neighborhood evangelism. I host Bible studies. I had this boxed-in method, and I'd questioned God and wondered, why is it not working? Why did you call me back here to be a missionary when the way I know missions isn't working? And now I look back and see God had something far greater than what I had in planned. But I can tell you that if I would have planned it and pictured it, I would have never pictured that the way that those people would have wanted to listen to me, that the way that would have given me a right to speak into their lives about God, would have been going through a traumatic birth experience, resulting in my firstborn son being born with major brain damage. But I'm so thankful that God's ways are greater than my ways and that I trusted him and saw it through. Because now everyone has reason to praise God with me. And so I just want to challenge you today that whatever you're going through, maybe it's not life didn't turn out the way you think it is. I just want to encourage you to hang on, to trust God, because maybe he has something far greater than you could ever think or imagine in Christ Jesus. Thank you.
Thank you, Ashley, for sharing your story about Caleb today, too. Thank you for being here the day after Christmas when the winds are howling outside. It's good to be here. I think it's important to be in church at Christmas because God gives us the reason to be here. I got to wondering, what was the difference in the shepherds in the way they went home from the way they came to Bethlehem? Luke 2, 15 through 20. What happened after Christmas? What happened after Jesus was born? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Going back home. Let's pray. Father, as we gather today to worship you on the day after Christmas, we've been to Bethlehem and to the manger, and we've seen the Christ child and we've worshipped. But how has that changed us? How are we any different today than we were two days ago? And how should we carry Christmas into the new year? Give us wisdom and guidance along these matters, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks often say that nothing is as over as Christmas is on December 26th. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? There's such a great buildup, all the things that happen leading up to Christmas, Advent, four weeks long, everything, stages, development, building, 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 and then all of a sudden, Christmas is here, and boom, December 26th, it's all over. And, and a lot of people are happy about that. <laughs> a lot of people are tired of all the things that go into building up to Christmas. But, but I don't think that putting away the Christmas decorations or the manger or the lights or anything else should have anything to do with putting away of Christmas. I think Christmas, because Jesus is past, present, and future, Christmas ought to be something that's never over. Matter of fact, Christmas ought to be the beginning of the Christmas spirit that lasts until December 25th, 2011. And then we have the opportunity to begin again and, and keep the Christmas spirit going. I was wondering about the shepherds. What happened to them on the way back home? There's a little outline in your worship bulletin. You know, in, in 2.20 it says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Luke builds up to the, the Christmas event, to the birth of Jesus. And he doesn't just leave us hanging. It doesn't just stop abruptly there. But it continues on, and Luke describes what the shepherds did after they saw Jesus when they headed home. And, and I can kind of envis envision the shepherds heading back to the hillside the morning after. They're telling people what they had seen and heard. They were glorifying and praising God. I, I couldn't help but wonder, as we were singing that song where it said, 
he dances over us. I wonder if God was dancing when Ashley was giving her testimony, giving him glory. I wonder if God was dancing when the shepherds were returning to the hillside, telling what they had heard and seen and giving him praises. I think he must have been. You know that feeling of a letdown that happens after you build up to something with a lot of excitement. Isn't that the way it is for you with vacations? We do vacations at my house and we talk about them for months in advance. I start going online and checking prices and directions and destinations and the best hotels, the best, best deals we can get on kayak or Bing or whatever. I like to shop around. And, uh, and we talk about it, and I kind of work up Susan and Catherine. I say, just think, a month from now, we'll be doing this. And then it gets closer. Two weeks from now, a week from now, we'll be doing this. This time tomorrow, we'll be here. You know, and just kind of build up, and it's exciting, and planning the vacation is, is half the fun. And then all of a sudden, the vacation's over, and you're kind of headed home. It's a big difference in feeling. It's a huge letdown. Well, I think the atmosphere after Christmas is different than it was the day before Christmas. But some things can change, too. I think Christmas can influence our lives. How can Jesus' birth influence our lives? Well, what did it do for the shepherds? What did they take with them? And a, a few things real quickly. First of all, the shepherds took a new experience that transformed them. Think of that. They were out on the hillside minding their own business watching sheep and then all of a sudden before the night is over they had the opportunity to see God in the flesh. That had to change them in some way, didn't it? Something happened to them that changed them forever. They had a personal encounter with the living God. They knew firsthand by visual and personal experience that Jesus' name was Emmanuel, that means God is with us. God is with us. And there's no way you can leave the manger without being changed by the reality of that truth. God is with us. And in the same way, we can be changed because he's with us too. So they took with them a new experience. Secondly, they took a new kind of love because not only did they experience him Physically, they also experienced the presence of God emotionally in their hearts. He not only changed their lives, he changed their hearts that day. I don't know, maybe, we don't really know what happened to the, to the shepherds 30 years later when Jesus began his ministry, but I imagine some of them were still alive. And I imagine when they heard of this man Jesus from Nazareth, who was doing miracles and and. And, and, and teaching and giving himself so fully, I wonder if any of those shepherds put it together, if they were maybe sitting on the hillside that day when he gave the Sermon on the Mount and when he took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000, surely some of those shepherds were in that crowd that day. How did they put together this baby they saw born with this man who was teaching with such authority that so many people were pointing at and saying, this is the Messiah. And they're saying, yes, I, I remember I saw, I saw him as a baby 30 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. How that must have changed their hearts. We don't have a lot of details about how the shepherds were affected by it. And maybe that's on purpose. Maybe, maybe 
God didn't want us to know the details, how they were changed, because he wants us to fill in the blanks. He wants us to be changed too, and each one of us is going to be changed differently. And so he left that open for us, but we know the shepherds worshipped the baby with love that night, and it was something that changed them forever. But not only did they stop there, as they were going back to the hillside, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, it's obvious they couldn't keep silent about it. When you see God in the flesh, how can you keep that secret? How can you keep that to yourself? And that kind of reminds me that we have a responsibility as Christians not only to come to the manger to worship and bow down and adore him, but after that, we've got to get up and go and serve him. Isn't that what he told us to do? Come to the manger, yes. Worship, bow down, yes. But don't stay there forever. Get up and go and serve. If God has really entered into our world and into our lives, how can we remain unchanged? He has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so that's where we start, at the manger, but that's not where we finish. We finish when we go and make disciples of all nations. You know, Jesus started out as a baby in a manger, but thank, thank God he didn't stay there. He grew up into an adult. He did not remain a baby. He didn't stay in Bethlehem. He moved to Nazareth where he became a man and taught what Christmas represents. He, he became a man and embodied everything that God had promised in that baby in a manger. He brought it to pass. He brought it to fulfillment. And he said things like, follow me, sin no more, take up your cross, go and make disciples. You shall be my witnesses. All these things, Jesus, as he grew into a man and began to, his ministry and began to, to preach and teach, Everything that he embodied as a baby came to pass. Jesus grew from an infant to an adult. And in the same way, we can't stay at the manger, but we have to allow our faith to grow and develop into mature faith. Let him grow us as he did the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph and those few who gathered at the manger that first night. Thank goodness they were transformed by it and went and told, glorifying and praising God all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You know, probably you have most of your Christmas presents opened that were underneath the tree yesterday. Maybe there's a few left unopened um, from out-of-town guests or family members that you've yet to, to hook up with. But under each tree is the biggest and best Christmas present of all, and it's God's offer of salvation to each and every one of us. His desire to have a personal relationship with all of us. How crazy would it be to leave the biggest and best Christmas present under the tree unopened? How crazy would it be to leave the best possible gift anyone could ever give us 
unopened. God's offer of salvation extended to you and to me. Not only to worship him at Christmas, what a privilege that is, but to get up from our knees, from the manger, to return home, glorifying and praising God and serving him all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we want to acknowledge that Christmas is wonderful, and we would love to remain at the manger and just adore you and, and sing Christmas carols and celebrate your birth. But just as you didn't stay there, but you ended up from Bethlehem to Nazareth, where you became a man and taught on the hillside and, and ministered to people in need and challenged folks to put down their sins and take up their cross. Father, we have to, we have to follow you too. We have to grow in our faith into a mature kind of faith that is obedient going and telling and showing and, and loving and ministering and following you in discipleship every day. Father, help us not leave the best Christmas present unopened under the tree. But help us to receive it, acknowledge our need, of your love and grace, of the salvation freely offered. And help us grow in it and then go from here and share it so that when we go back home today, we leave different, differently from the way we came because we have encountered the living Christ and it would be impossible to remain unchanged. Thank you for being here with us today. Father, dance over us, sing over us, and receive our praise and love and worship that you came as a baby in a manger and grew into a man who died on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sins and have everlasting life. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of, of decision and invitation. I surrender all. I'll be here at the front. You have a decision to make. If you'd like to join with us, you come. Let's stand together and sing. <laughs>